Do you love early intervention, but feel like you need more mentorship and information to thrive in this setting? We're here to provide a safe, inclusive community where we learn from and uplift one another. It's our mission to prepare students and practitioners to be confident and competent working in early intervention. Hi, I'm Amira Johnson. I'm Danielle DiLorenzo. And I'm Sarah Putt. And together, we're the real OTs of early intervention. Today, we are going to talk all about feeding in early intervention. Now, if you are like me, who absolutely love, love, love working on feeding, congratulations. This is the best place for you to be right now because we're going to talk about all the loves. Or if you will hear from my co-host, Amira, in a little bit, one of them, that she is not a very big fan of feeding. So if you are one of those people, Congratulations. I'm so excited you are here too, because feeding is an area in early intervention that we definitely do not get even a snippet in school. So really everything you're learning about feeding, you're just kind of thrown in there and it's like, all right, you have a family. Here's a feeding concern. Where are we going to start? So today we're going to talk about feeding and some of the things you might see when you get a kid on caseload that has a feeding goal. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Marvelous Miracles OT, a platform created to empower and equip families and therapists with the tools and resources to help little miracles fulfill big dreams. In early intervention, feeding goals do come up. And when we talk about feeding, we could be talking about a variety of things. We can be talking about increasing the amount of taste and textures in a kid's diet. We could be talking about utensil usage. We could be talking about drinking from a straw, an open cup. We can just be talking about transitioning to solids. We can maybe be working on positioning for breastfeeding and latch consulting and all these other things that really, when you start thinking about it, especially as the new grad, you're going to be like, how, how can I even begin to support in these areas that I know nothing about, especially if you don't have a background working in pediatrics or are working around people who just had babies? Because that's when all of these things are coming up. So what I want to know, and I'm going to throw this to Amira because we know that this is not, this is not your favorite thing. So talk to me. How can I make you feel I want to have a, an ounce of love. I would like you to feel an ounce of love for feeding. How can I help you do that? <laughs> Hi, my name is Amira. I work in early intervention and I will probably never have an ounce of love for feeding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and it's okay. It is okay. You know why? Because we all have the things that we love and that we're passionate about. If you listen to my first solo episode, I blabbed on and on with a giant smile on my face about the NICU and supporting premature infants and the transition home. And that's what lights me up. But when Danielle just asked me about feeding, that light was dimmed just a little bit. And that's okay. Because like I said, we all have the things that we love and that we're passionate about. So what's funny is that when I first started in OT school, of course, I really didn't have like, I feel like a lot of students, a great grasp on what exactly being a pediatric OT looks like. I knew that's what I wanted to do. But first of all, I had no idea that we did feeding. That was just not something that I shadowed in. Like I didn't recognize that that was an area that we could do. So when I started hearing about it, I was like, that just doesn't sound interesting. I, it just didn't sound interesting to me. And so I always said to myself, I am never going to do feeding. And it's just funny because, you know, you guys know I'm a faith girl. I feel like God heard that. And he was like, 
ha, just kidding. There's another plan for you because I ended up doing my doctoral research with a pediatric intensive feeding program. And I was like, this is a funny sense of humor because I didn't want to do anything with feeding. And I will say like, I learned a lot about feeding in that process. And I thought maybe that would change my feelings, but it honestly still didn't. It's still not something that I genuinely enjoy. And I don't know if it's because I have to sit still at the table and like watch the kid eat. And sometimes to be quite honest, it's like watching paint dry because they don't want to touch anything. And you're just kind of waiting for them to do something and they're staring at you. And it's just like, it just is not exciting for me. (laughs) But that being said, it is such an important part of what we do. And so I have been, you know, I look at the resources, I'm educating myself because I do still have to support the families and that's all that matters. But Danielle, I don't know if by the end of this episode, you're going to convince me to love feeding. I I just don't know if it's going to happen. That's okay. That's okay. I appreciate you. I honor where you are at. And I think that's one of the things you really have to ask yourself is early intervention for you is getting yogurt flung at your face, something you're interested in. Do you want to touch food or have food be on you or have to work on all of these different things? Because yes, you can't just hand an IFSP back. If it says feeding, you got to take it. So now that we know that Amira probably will never love feeding, which is totally okay, because we all know that she loves early intervention because you can still love early intervention and hate certain parts about that. It's on our podcast list to talk about, I believe. We add to the list is a common phrase you hear us say often here. So Sarah, I would love to hear your thoughts on feeding in early intervention. So to be honest, when I first got into early intervention, I was completely overwhelmed by feeding and I didn't have a lot of experience, didn't get it in school, had a little bit in my first couple of years as a practitioner, but feeding in early intervention, it's its own beast and there's a lot more to it. And I know in the very, very beginning, I would shy away from it because I just didn't know enough. And I I didn't feel confident in being able to address it. And I think I would agree with Amira in the very beginning. I didn't like feeding, but rather than shy away from it, I was like, okay, I'm going to take all these feeding cases on. I'm going to do my continuing educations in feeding. I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can. And then if I still don't like it, then at least I know, like I have the skills, I can do it. And it's still not for me. And as I gained more experience and as I gained more tools in my tool belt, I've actually come to love feeding and everything that it kind of encompasses. I shouldn't say everything because I, I don't like smelling like yogurt. You know, if you have a nine o'clock client and by the end of the day, you notice you still have yogurt on your arm and you can smell it. Like, yeah, I, I don't love that part of it, but the intricacies that happen within a feeding session and a lot of times when when you think about feeding, you're just thinking about the act of getting food to the mouth, chewing, swallowing, and digestion, and then that's it. But there is so much more that wraps, that encapsulates feeding from social participation to the routines of the families, to culture and beliefs, to all of these things outside of just the act around food and eating. And the it's those intricacies and really how important feeding and nutrition is within a person's life that I think now I'm like, I do. I love feeding. I don't like getting messy, but I will do that because I know how important it is. Yay. <laughs> two for feeding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
So yeah, why do I love feeding so much? Why do I love it? As a neurodivergent individual who has her entire life never been able to expand the variety of tastes and textures in her diet, greatly appreciate what feeding experiences as a baby can support across a lifespan with being able to actually feel comfortable and confident to try new foods. As an adult who can articulate their experience, their scary, crazy experience with food, because that's what happens. As a little girl, I would stare at pasta with gravy on it and have people yelling at me to eat it because Italians want you to eat gravy on your pasta. And I would say, no, this is, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And so to this day, I eat plain pasta. I barely eat anything, (laughs) but when I have been able to expand my taste and textures, it has been because somebody comfortable in my life presented it to me in a way that took all of my sensory needs and all of my preferences into consideration. And when I realized that I got to work on feeding in early intervention, oh my gosh, I was like, this is going to be my thing. I am going to own it. And I sure did. I went to the SOS training. I took the sensory motor approach to feeding. I looked at all of these different ways to help support feeding and early intervention. I couldn't get enough continuing education the developmental feeding checklist. I can't, I'm going to put it in the notes. I'm going to link it. It's so good. There's so many resources that I've come across to help support because that's the thing. But again, I think the most cool part for me was this one time when I was working with a family and the parents were like, I just can't do this anymore. I can't have crackers every night. I can't have goldfish every night for dinner. Like it's, it is not nutritious. So we need to do whatever it takes to get them to eat this. Okay. Because they're doing this on purpose. Okay. They're doing this because they just, they want junk food and they just, they just don't want to eat it. And I was like, okay, I am going to share with you a story. And I shared my story. And by the end of the time that I was sharing my story, parents were crying. And then they kind of had this like self-realization that like, wow, so he's not doing this on purpose. He does have sensory aversions to food. This isn't just happening for like any reason, because when kids are rejecting food, there's a reason. And we know that food is nutrition. And no matter what that that family has access to, the goal is to make sure that feeding is meaningful and impactful and know that we need it to survive and for energy and to move forward, right? So when we have all of these different ideologies as parents of what we think feeding and the feeding experience should be, we as early intervention practitioners really have this unique role to really help parents expand on. It's so much more than he doesn't want to do this, or he's not eating this, or there's there's lots of things going on but also recognizing how impacting it is on family mealtimes, routines, and dynamics. Because Luke eats everything. I was actually expecting him to be just like me. (laughs) But no, he eats everything. But I was prepping for that. And, you know, Sarah, we were talking about this earlier about setting up the environment, right? We know that feeding impacts daily routines. And when we as early intervention practitioners come in the home and we see that mealtime is an area that we need to support, that can be really tricky to navigate. So I'm interested, Amira, how do you navigate that when it comes up 
Well, I will say, although I don't love working on feeding, I do love what happens afterwards. I love how I can listen to the parents talk about how great mealtime ended up going. And the thing is, it doesn't always have to be like the the child has to eat the food. Like for some of the, for some of the families I've worked with, it's just getting them to sit down like with the family. It's talking through what does mealtime routine right now look like? It's talking through, oh, maybe they just need a screen to be able to eat. It's talking through that. So there's a lot of other, I think, components of feeding that I actually do enjoy. Like I actually do enjoy those things versus I guess now that kind of we're talking about all of the different areas of feeding, it's like, I don't enjoy the oral motor because that's just not something that I know enough about, you know, to be honest. And then I don't really enjoy like having to touch the textures and things like that. And I think that's more of my own sensitivities. Like as you guys are talking and Sarah was talking about the yogurt still being on her, I literally like made a face and I was like, ah, because I can't imagine, like, I just don't like that. And so I think my own kind of tactile, and I have a lot of other sensory sensitivities that I, that I just have lived with. Um, but I think that that is actually what maybe is impacting that. So, so thank you, Sarah and Danielle. Like, I feel like I'm doing my own internal reflection about why I don't like feeding. And I think it's more of a me thing. It's not, it's not the feeding itself. It's just me and my personality and what I like and what I dislike in my sensory system. So anyways, all that being said, there are aspects of feeding I actually do enjoy. And that's one of them is talking through what is a mealtime routine look like and how can we make that more of an opportunity for that child to just make mealtime enjoyable and make it fun. And I think that's something that I really do like to work on within the context of feeding. For me, I know when feeding is first brought up and and actually I want to point out because sometimes we will get clients on our caseload where it's like motor goals and speech goal, communication goals and cognition goals. And then all of a sudden you start with the family and they're like, they won't eat anything or mealtimes are super stressful. And you're like, wait, there was nothing mentioned in the IFSP about feeding. And all of a sudden that first session, you're like, all right. And it, it's a big issue. So, and I know in the beginning I was like, uh, uh, feeding? okay, well, I'm already here. So I got to figure this out. And what I always like to do that, that, you know, probably not that session because you're, you're really kind of just like gathering information, but I, I talk the families through what this, what, what, what this is kind of going to look like and some of the things that we're going to be doing. And I, I really try to meet the family where they're at and get a clear picture of what's going on. And then I'm like, okay, so the next time I show up, you know, next week or whenever our next session is, I want to, I want to observe, I want to be a fly on the wall of what you're feeding, quote unquote, what you're feeding, your mealtime routine looks like. Pretend that I'm not here. I want them to go through everything. Cause I think a lot of times the families try to put their kid on the best behavior and try to give them the foods that they want and try to make it where we don't see all, all the stuff that they deal with on a, on a daily basis. And I'm like, no, I want to see all of that. And I, I want to see the foods that your kid is comfortable with. I want to see some challenging foods. I want to see some new foods that you've never presented before. I want to look at the environment. I want to see what is actually going on. And so before I really dive too deep into any of the feeding weeds, I want to get that clear picture of what is contributing to the difficulties that this kid is experiencing, but also the family as well, because we know anything that revolves around feeding with the kid is also going to be impacting that family and their routines and and, and, and how they actually engage with each other. So my very first thing is really just like sitting down and being off to the side and just 
observing and just watching and trying to piece together as much that I possibly can of what is actually happening during that mealtime session, during that feeding period. I think you can gather so much really good information by just sitting and watching before you just jump in and intervene. I love that. I used to, in some cases, bring my breakfast in, sit down at the table and be a part of the family, especially if the child was shy or would, when a new situation would occur or a new adult, like, or feel like all eyes on them, they weren't able to really eat or do anything. So really, again, like focusing on that family routines and not to fear feeding. This episode was not meant to talk about all of the facets of feedings and what you're going to need to feel equipped and confident to go in and start doing these different type of specialty area feeding interventions. Really what this is meant to show you is that when you are an early interventionist, you are going to work on feeding and what that looks like more is in context of routines and really being able to sit back and see every everything and have that objective lens is going to help piece together all of the different components that are really going into why mealtime or activities are challenging for families. And that is when you're going to be able to provide those best support strategies. And they're most likely going to be strategies that you're going to try ongoing and alter very, very often because especially when there's certain tactile defensiveness or when we don't have a lot of taste and textures, you need to go slow and steady and it will always win the race. I can assure you, because remember the goal is about connection and the goal is about establishing a relationship. So even when you're feeling that you might not be equipped to handle or work on feeding goals, you absolutely are because you know, the foundational skills that are necessary for feeding, you understand the different types of possible and seating arrangements that you can place the child in and with different type of adaptive equipment and other type of utensils and setting up the environment with a multi-sensory enriched, you know, atmosphere that is supportive to the child's sensory needs. And just taking all of these things into account, you actually can do feeding without even touching any food at all. You can incorporate it into pretend play, into bath time, into various various other routines. You can do so many different things literally without even touching food. So again, really just being objective and thinking about feeding in a different way and don't let it scare you. Don't let it be something that you, and and you can hate it, but you can work around it and figure out how you can still meet these goals without having to feel like you have to be so hands-on with food specifically. Because remember, a lot of the times it's really should be that child-led and family-led and you're parenting and coaching and guiding the family on what to do. So really there's very much so modeling on your part and also being able to show the family hey, here are some really simple and basic strategies that we can start to try to support this. And I feel like it was Sarah saying earlier, a lot of the times you're going to get these goals and then you're going to walk in the house and you're like, oh, okay, I think we're going to work on feeding. All right. So how how am I going to feel ready for that? So we talked about a little bit on what each of us feels about feeding 
And now we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about working on feeding goals and early intervention? What are other resources or topics in this area that you would like to hear more about? Let us know. You can DM us at the Real OTs of EI on Instagram or on our website, therealots.com. We're so excited you joined us today. Check out our website, therealots.com, for more information about anything discussed in the episode. And sign up for our email list so you don't miss out on any of our awesome EI resources. And join our amazing community of students and practitioners to get your questions answered and learn from others working in early intervention. Whether you're in the car, on your lunch break, or signing in to your next virtual session, thanks for keeping it real with the real OTs of early intervention.